Most people in the Salesforce ecosystem identify Talent Stacker as a platform for entry-level Salesforce professionals. But what a lot of people don't know is that we actually also serve established Salesforce professionals. If you want to check out our free resources for leveling up your Salesforce career, make sure to head over to talentstacker.com forward slash CAP. That's talentstacker.com forward slash CAP. And you can get a free Salesforce Career Accelerator Toolkit, helping you with everything from planning your career goals, designing a strategy to implement those goals into reality, helping you with salary negotiation for landing a new job or with your current employer, as well as much more. So be sure to check out that Career Accelerator Toolkit. If you do not prepare for this type of question before the interview, you're going to blow it. Hi, I'm Anita Smith. I'm Bradley Rice. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the Salesforce, Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's Q&A, we teach you the art of tasteful networking. Shift your mindset of what they can do for you to what you can do for them. Don't ask for a job right off like, hi, can I have a job? Hi, are you hiring? Also, Brad shares why interviewers want you to mess up. And if you try to pretend like you didn't make a big mistake or your big mistake's not that big, then it just shows a lack of experience. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be hosting yet another Q&A episode. So your community questions getting answered here on the show. And with me, as always, to answer these questions, I have Anita Smith. How's it going today, Anita? Hey, Bradley. You know what? I'm just having a really bad day. All right. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, no, I am uh, grateful to be alive. There's been a lot of issues with the house lately, but trying to stay positive. Most recent fun issue that happened was, uh, so there's like a 150 foot pine tree right in front of my house in front of the living room window. And the other night it got struck by lightning, which was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I saw the picture you shared and it legit, legit got struck by lightning, like not close, not sort of, but very much from top to bottom. Yeah, we are also grateful that you guys are safe. And uh, yeah, we we need more Anita Smiths in the world, not <laughs> not any of them getting struck by lightning. So that's awesome. We have not had anything nearly that eventful happening. We just got back from a quick family trip to the Gulf and got some time to try to relax a little bit as much as my brain lets me relax. But it was good to step away for a second and yeah, ready to jump back in. Cool. Should we uh, talk about Salesforce stuff now? I guess we can. I guess the audience is probably expecting something about Salesforce. All right. Let me kick off the first question. You answer this one though. All right. <laughs> so first Q&A we have is... What are some effective strategies for finding Salesforce job opportunities in a competitive market? Yeah, it's a great question, especially given how 2023 has been. So it's not exactly a best kept secret that the market has become a bit more competitive. And I'll, I'll say we started noticing in May 2023 that things were starting to loosen up a little bit. February, March, April were definitely tightening. Companies were doing things like hiring freezes. But in May, we've seen that loosen up quite a bit. Companies getting back into hiring mode, definitely not just booming, but we definitely saw an uptick. And in my opinion, based on nothing, right? Just based on perception and talking to employers and sort of keeping up with the community, it seems like we're going to continue to see those upticks throughout the end of the year. So we're hopeful for that. But to the point of the question, competition did thicken a little bit in spring of this year. 
And with that in mind, people started thinking, how can I more actively differentiate myself? And how can I make sure that I'm competitive in this market? And there are a few different ways to do this. And we've talked about it a lot on the show. But the bottom line is I see so many people talking about things like ATS systems, which are the, I I forget what the acronym stands for, but basically it's these automated tracking systems for resume reviews. And it'll just look at a resume, it'll just scan it and see if it meets the job description requirements and sort of give it a preliminary check. And it's interesting topics like that to me. Thank you, Anita. Applicant tracking system is what ATS stands for. And what stands out to me when people ask questions like this is that they're asking how to overcome a system by submitting a resume that maybe gets through that system more actively. And to me, I've always given the advice that we're not asking for permission. We're not following the standard narrative. We're not just applying for jobs like every other applicant in the world does. We are always going to let the employer know that we are serious about our Salesforce careers and getting into these job roles. So uh, we talk about this a lot in our LinkedIn optimization strategy, and we have a free guide for that at talentstacker.com in the free resources tab. But it's about networking and communicating and actually leaning in and being part of the Salesforce community before you start applying for jobs. And that way, when you do start applying for jobs, instead of competing against everyone, you're in the community sending DMs to people you already have relationships with and saying, hey, I saw you had that job posted. I applied for it. I'm really interested. I think I'd be an amazing fit for these three reasons. And getting the attention of those individuals through more than a typical application. So there are a lot of strategies for making sure that you're the one that's getting the job opportunities. So that's a job search strategy that I would use. But I'd be interested, Anita, if you have any advice around how do we make ourselves more competitive, right? Like outside of a job search strategy, how do we make sure that when somebody sees us, we look sharp? Yeah, I mean, you got to find something to make yourself stand out, whether it is branding, making sure like you have a niche that no one else has. Everyone like is pretty generalized. But when you think of certain different niches, like who's an omni-channel expert? I already have a talent sector in mind because I know they have branded themselves as an expert or like any other type of niche. That's one way to make yourself stand out because I get people reaching out to me all the time. Oh, do you have someone you know, that specializes in this or have experience in this. And if the person has done a great job branding themselves, their name will pop in my head and I can recommend that person. But aside from that, if you're doing the same thing as everyone else, posting the same content on LinkedIn, super generalized, making the same comments on people's posts, you're not going to stand out. You really need to do something that makes yourself stand out. So there's little things here and there you can do, you know, have a great profile picture with a memorable background so people can memorize and notice the color. And even before they see the name on who posted or who commented, they know it's you. Just personal branding. I mean, again, for me, like, that's how I got my first job. Didn't apply for it. You get access to this hidden job market by building your personal brand and networking well with it. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. And I think a lot of people in the program talk constantly about not realizing just how important LinkedIn was. Like they knew about it and they already knew about LinkedIn and they already had a LinkedIn profile and they didn't realize how massively important that was going to be throughout this process. And I would argue throughout your career, that's going to continue to be important if you want 
doors to open for you and opportunities to be presented that wouldn't necessarily be there. It's how people know that you exist and what you're about and you know what you communicate about and what you're interested in and all those things. I'll say too that I think a lot of people discount the value that they bring or a lot of times people know the value that they bring, but they don't showcase it well. Like they've done a practice project, they've done super badges and they feel like they have value. They've done actual volunteer projects for real companies and they don't know how to communicate it actively. So employers literally don't even know, right? They're applying for a job and they look like every other entry-level applicant, but the truth is they have tremendous value that they're simply not communicating. So I would say, again, we've got that LinkedIn guide that walks through a lot of these things, but it's if you're going to put experience on your resume, make sure that it is highlighting those actual qualities and those like quantitative values that you had on a company. Don't say, I was able to help with the support team, right? Say, I was able to generate a 25% better efficiency on closing support cases in less than 24 hours for the support team by implementing an automated process that did XYZ. Like that's how you show value. People don't want to see this generic, I made the team better. I helped improve the process. They need to know how because that's what's going to catch their eye and make them go, this person's worth an interview. And we don't have to go into it on this question, but if you're going to put yourself out there and you're going to compete in this job market, you need to be prepared for interviews. We have a whole episode just about interviewing and I would definitely check that out. But you have to be prepared for interviews because when they interview five, six people in the same week for a job, you have a tremendous opportunity to be that one person that really stands out to them. Even if you have zero days of experience and somebody else interviews that has 12 months of experience, you can highlight yourself in a way that shows how positive you are, how energized you are, how excited you are for this opportunity and that growth mindset and that you're going to surpass that one-year experience person almost immediately. And when you can do that, you're going to be raking in job offers from jobs that on paper, it should have gone to the person with a year of experience. But because you interview well, you will take jobs that you wouldn't think you should be able to land. Well, perfect segue into the next question. Thank you, Bradley, for that. So what are some common interview questions for Salesforce roles and how can I best prepare for them? It's a great question. So let's just hit them. I've actually got the list, believe it or not. I knew this question was going to come up. So I pulled the list up. And so a little bit of, uh, I'll say debrief around these questions that I'm going to share. These are not guesswork. They're not what we think people might ask in interviews. This is not a random blog article that we Googled. What are the top interview questions? And just hoped that whoever wrote that blog article actually knows what they're talking about. And fun fact, I actually compared our results and I'll share how we get these results, but I actually compared our results to five of the top Salesforce interview question blogs whenever I Googled. And None of the blogs actually have questions that we're hearing in interviews compared to our list. They're only about 30% accurate, which leads me to believe most of that stuff is guesswork and not actually based on real results in the real world. So the way that we get our results is that every time a talent stacker member lands a job, which so far this year is about 350 people, we ask them, what interview questions did you just hear? In those interviews where you just landed this job or you were just you know, interviewing with three different companies and getting asked questions, what are the top questions that you were asked? And we get those constantly, multiple times a month, and we put those into our question database. So these are actually questions from our members over the last 12 months, and this represents uh, just over 600 individuals answering these questions. So we can jump in now, but I just wanted to lend some credibility to the reality of these questions. So we categorize this into personal 
interview questions, soft skill interview questions, and technical interview questions. And so I'll start with personal and I'll try to share the top two from each one. So the number one question you're going to get asked in interviews is what you may have guessed. And that's tell me about yourself. That is typically the first question you're going to be asked in every single interview. And sometimes it's just an icebreaker, like they're just trying to have conversation. But when you're in an interview, every response matters. Just take every opportunity you get. And I like to call these softball questions because it gives you the floor to say whatever you want to say. Like that thing you want to make sure gets said in this interview that you do not leave and go to sleep at night thinking, man, I wish I would have mentioned that. Why didn't I mention that in the interview? I wish I'd have said that. Know what that thing is. And when they say, tell me about yourself, find a way to say that thing, right? Say that thing that you do not want to get away and take a moment to say, yeah, this is my name. This is what I've been up to. This is how I'm bettering myself. This is why I'm interested in the role that you had shared. It looks really exciting for these reasons. And most recently, I just wrapped up a project where I did this, this, and this, and I'm really excited. I thought flows, for example, were going to be really challenging. And it turns out they're really enjoyable. And I've really enjoyed learning them and expanding my ability to use Salesforce. I'd be happy to share them in this interview if you want to. I could walk you through a demo of a flow that I've built recently, but I'd love to hear what you guys are looking for. And, you know, I wanted to show my flows. I wanted to talk about my flow skills. Take that second to say it when they say, tell me a little something about yourself. So I guess what would be your thoughts around that question, Anita? Yeah, so this is basically your first impression. That answer is perfect. One additional thing I would add is something to make you memorable because they're probably interviewing a lot of different people and people may be giving similar answers. Throw in a fun fact. While you're doing your research, if you're able to peek at the interviewer's LinkedIn and see where they're from or maybe hobbies or something you may have in common, throw that in there. Like, for example, if I go into their page and I see, oh, they like to travel too, I drop a fun fact like, oh, I've been to six out of seven continents or something. I try to make the interview sound like a conversation. So I want them to ask interesting questions outside of the normal interview questions because it breaks the ice. You feel more comfortable. You know, you're like, oh, I can see myself working with this person because we have a lot in common. Stuff like that. Just something subtle to throw out there. So like when they think back, oh, I really like this person. They might not remember exactly why, but they're just like, oh, it was a really good conversation. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Because I can tell you that when they're going through this interview process, it is taxing for the team to schedule time and make sure people are available and have the list of questions. And they've already interviewed five people. At the very least, if you can just have an energized conversation where people are actually happy to talk to each other and they're having a good conversation, if you can just do that, then you're at least going to leave an impression that goes, you know, I didn't ask the questions. I wish I would have asked that person, but I just remember them being awesome. And for that reason, I think we should get them in for a second interview, right? And you can get to the second interview just by being agreeable and being someone that people are like, you know what? I think I'd like to work with them. So let's, let's see what else they got. So the second question we have, which I think people undervalue this question, I think it's an extremely important question, but I'd love to hear your response first. Why this company? Like, why do you want to work for this company out of all the companies? Why this one? Oh, because it's the only one that got back to me is not the correct answer. <laughs> it's interesting that this came up because a friend of mine, she sent me a job posting for her company, which is a pretty big airline that has really great values. And she's like, make sure you know the answer to this particular question and don't say for the perks or the benefits. <laughs> 
I mean, it's important that they know you've done your research on the company and it's not random. You want to, I guess, woo the company. You want to show that you want to work there and you get it and your values align with the company values. They want to make sure you're a good fit. And just taking the extra step of like doing some background research on the company, like their values, you know, anything in the news that happened recently that you really like, just share that information because it does matter. Yeah, I agree. And I would also say to sort of continue where you were going with that is uh, even just the simple things like looking up the company's core values and trying to understand what those are, because it may seem silly to us and it may seem silly to the employees once you get on the inside, like, are these core values really what's upheld at the company? We don't know. But I can tell you that companies a lot of times talk about their core values a lot and leadership will reference the core values a lot. It just makes a good talking point for these random all hands calls and stuff like that. So what I would do if I were looking for a job right now is I would make sure to align one of their core values and find one that I truly consider to be one of my personal core values. And then when they ask questions like, why this company? I would say, I noticed that you have this core value. And I've seen that core value of yours exemplified through XYZ that you do at the company. Or I know a few people who work there and they say that you guys really live by this value. And I also live by this value. And so that's why I feel, you know, out of all the companies, this is a place where I feel that my values align with yours. And that's the kind of place I can see myself working. Now, I want to explain this question a little bit, and it's really important to always think about what the employer is looking for and what their why is, right? We think about our why a lot, like why do we want this job? What are we looking to change in our lives? But we fail to think about the why of the employer. And I've seen a lot of people, maybe sometimes justified, they don't enjoy things like case study projects during the interview process where a company will say, uh, hey, we need you to do these requirements and make a video about it and then submit your project to us where you've actually built something in Salesforce based on some requirements we gave you. And then we're going to analyze that project and see how you did. And they'll put you through the ringer with three, four, sometimes even five interviews in a hiring process. And candidates get really frustrated with all these hoops that they feel like they're having to jump through. And some companies, it's justified. Like they do an awful job. They have five interviews and no one knows why. They do a case study project and they don't even respond to candidates when they submit their case studies and things like that. And that's just awful hiring process. But a lot of companies are doing those things for the right reasons. And I want to point this out because I, I don't think people understand why companies do this. And especially if you have a smaller company, your hiring, number one, internally is a really important decision to add someone to your team. And it's kind of like adding someone to your little internal family, if you will, because you're adding a new member and they need to get along well with the other great people that you already have working for your company. And they need to care about the things that your company cares about. And that's all selfish things for the company. But for you, imagine you have a full-time job and you're working 40 hours a week and you're supporting your family and you're trying to work towards your goals, but you want to get out of that. And then they do a awful job hiring and they do one little interview with you. You seem fun and they just immediately hire you. But then they find out a few weeks later, you're really not a great fit and they should have done more technical, maybe a case study to see what skills you actually had. And maybe they should have talked to you a little bit longer to figure out, do you even mesh well with the team? Do you have any of the same beliefs or values as the company? And when they find out that you don't mesh as well as they thought you would, and they have to let you go, they just ripped you away from a 40-hour job that was supporting your family. And because they didn't do their due diligence and interview you well, they just put you in a really bad position. And that's the worst thing I think a company can do to a person. So think sometimes about the interview process. Sometimes it gets a little arduous. Think about how the company could very well be going through that process on your behalf to help protect you just as much as they're helping to protect themselves, if that makes sense. 
All right. So I know we only said two from each section, but this third one is a common one. And you'd be surprised that people are still asking this, but they are. It's what are your biggest weaknesses? Yeah. So for me, the number one piece of advice is don't create a fake weakness. And and what I mean by fake weakness is saying that my biggest weakness is that I work all weekend long and I just can't turn it off and I'm always getting work done all the time. Like that's not a real weakness. Obviously, everyone in the room knows that you are basically just denying the question. So you've got to actually identify a real weakness in your life. And to me, a lot of times you can identify these. They're typically characteristics of you where you lack. And to me, I know what my big weaknesses are. And one of them is a a lack of being observant. Sometimes I just, you know, jog through the day and don't really look around and see what's happening or notice the details. And a lot of the times you can find your own weaknesses through maybe what your spouse is always sort of nitpicking you on or what your friends say about you that bothers them. And if you're not sure, ask, ask somebody, say, be honest, like, what do you think like my weaknesses are for this type of question? And the important thing is truly say the weakness. And it can even be a stunning weakness. Like I would love to turn heads in the interview with, Hey, what's your weakness? And just say something that they're like, wait, that's your weakness. Like, how are we going to recover from this? But it's about having systems in place and finding ways to overcome your weaknesses. So for me, it might be that I'm not really observant. I have a hard time getting into the details of everything, but I've started using this project tracker where I literally have everything documented. I have all the requirements written out. I know all my timelines. And so I personally, me with my weakness of being able to stay on track and observing all the details, I don't have to worry about that anymore because it's all taken care of because of the tools I've implemented in my life that allow me to overcome my weaknesses. So yes, I'm going to have weaknesses, but I'm always looking out for technology and tools that I can use to help me overcome those. And that's how I tend to handle the weakness question. What about you, Anita? Yeah. Anyone listening, don't you dare say I'm a perfectionist. That's like the most common answer to that question and so boring. Again, you want to stand out. So do something that's authentic to you and be sure to share how you recover. Um, Well, I haven't interviewed for a job in so long, but I I have thought of the answer to this particular question. And my answer would be time zones are my weakness. So I work with a global company. I have team members all over the world and time zones are hard. Like I did not know before that not every country does daylight savings. And when they do, it is different than the US (laughs) daylight savings date. So how I recover from that, I we use Outlook. So I add the time zones in the calendar, but I'm also always Googling the actual time because it changes. I work with a lot of team members in India, and that was a challenge because they don't do daylight savings. So half the year, I have to switch around all the meetings because all of a sudden it's like midnight on half my team's time. So we have to adjust that way. But yeah, let's move to the other sections because I don't want to take over this episode with just interview questions. So bear with us. Also, write these down because you won't always find these on the internet. Like these are actual questions that our members have been asked. All right, so let's do soft skills. First question is, what is a situation where you failed or made a mistake and how did you handle it? All right, so this is a great question and it is the number one most common soft skill interview question. Okay, so this is not just a question. It is the most common soft skill interview question. The thing about questions like this, I just want to preface by saying, if you do not prepare for this type of question before the interview, 
you're going to blow it. Like you can't do this on the fly. Like just to reframe the question, what is a situation where you failed or made a mistake and how did you handle it? If you try to answer that and like make up a situation where there was a mistake and you failed and you had to overcome and blah, blah, blah. It's not going to be nearly as genuine, nearly as thought out. There might be follow-up questions where if you made something up, now you got to like make up follow-up scenarios. Make it a real situation, whether that was a super badge or a practice project or a simulated experience or anything, like whatever it is, just actually have something prepared. I just want to point that out for a lot of these questions. Um, What is a situation you find where you failed? And highlight the failure, right? Highlight the mistake because people make mistakes. We talked about just a few episodes back. I think we were hanging out with Denison on the Salesforce Administrator episode. And we talked about the big mistakes that we've made. And if you try to pretend like you didn't make a big mistake or your big mistake's not that big, then it just shows a lack of experience. That's all that it shows. And so when you hear somebody saying, I don't think you have quite enough experience, sometimes that answer can come because they knew you didn't have enough experience because your biggest mistake wasn't serious enough. That would be a key indicator that you haven't had a lot of experience if your big mistakes are small. So I I know we've talked about this, like I email blasted, uh, not email blasted, but created task records for like 800 employees across the organization and I had to go back and clean those up. I accidentally emailed somebody in our internal org, something I definitely shouldn't have said and did not mean to say. It's all about how you recover from big mistakes. It goes back to the weakness question. It's not about not having weaknesses and it's not about not having mistakes. It's how you adapt and recover from your weaknesses and mistakes. So I would handle this in a very similar framework. I would come with a very real mistake that you've made. And again, this could just be a practice project where you were working on something and you created everything and you were trying to create it as a trigger or you know, using custom code. And it turns out you could have done it with a flow or you created it with a flow and it took you 40 hours to create it with a flow. But then suddenly there was an app that you could have just downloaded for free off the app exchange and could have saved 10, 20, 30 hours of time. And that was a mistake you made. And now how did you learn? What was your outcome from that? You learned to be more aware of what's out there. Do your research first, understand the requirement first, understand what's out there that could be used to solve this problem. Maybe crowdsource it, ask in a couple of forums how other people have solved this problem, all those kinds of things. So again, just going back to this is about identifying your weaknesses and your mistakes and showing the employer how you learn from those situations. Yeah, I just want to add on, it's not only the content that's important, but it's also the way you deliver your answer. You want to deliver it as a story. And the framework most people use that makes it the easiest is a STAR method. I think S is situation. So give a little background context of where it was, you know, what your role was and all that. Then T is the actual task. A is the action you took. And then R is the results. I personally like to add an extra R. I can't remember why, like what word it was for, but it was basically what I set up in place so no one else will make that mistake in the future. Um, Resolution? I don't know. I can't remember. So that stuff's important. And same goes with this next soft skill question. So the number two most frequently asked question is, what would you do if you came across something you were unfamiliar with or didn't know how to do? It's also asked a variety of ways. So if you had to solve a problem that you didn't know the answer to, how would you go about solving it? Where would you look for an answer first? What would your resources be? Yeah. Like 100%. This kind of goes back to that last question again, right? It was how did we learn from that mistake where we fell? 
And how do we end up in a better place so we don't make the same mistakes in the future? And I think one of the things we were mentioning was that ability to use resources and before you start to solve the problem, right? And that goes into this too. And that's why it's an extremely common question and the second most common soft skill question. So if you're unfamiliar with something, and I would argue even if you are familiar with something, go check and make sure you're still up to date. Just because you've done it before doesn't mean you did it right the first time. There might be a better answer today. There might have been a better answer when you did it the first time and you didn't know about it. So don't assume you have the best answer just because you've seen this before, right? I've seen this a lot of times in the past. It's a big gripe in the Salesforce community, but people attaching lead records to opportunity records. And typically you would convert a lead to a contact and then attach the contact to the opportunity. But a lot of people still attach leads directly to the opportunity. And I've seen it work both ways. I know people complain about it, but the point is, you should be aware of what you're doing. And there might be a new app that solves a problem that it didn't solve before. Like I remember in our member community, one of our members was saying, how can you do this particular thing for free? And somebody said, oh, this app, like this app would be perfect. And they were like, uh-uh, wrong answer because that app's not free. But it turns out a year ago, it wasn't free, but now today it is free. And so the interviewer was wrong, right? Like the person asking the question thought they were so smart, but they were wrong. And it's important for all of us to go back, whether it's the first time we're doing something or the fifth time we're doing something. It might be a standard function of Salesforce now that was released in the last release schedule. It might be a new app that's been released. It might just be that some really brilliant person came up with a smarter way to do something. So just always be aware. And I would say being resourceful, you should be involved in community groups, uh, Trailblazer communities, Salesforce for everyone community groups, your resources like using new technology like GPT or being able to actually know how to Google things and find credible sources. These are all a lot of different ways we can be resourceful. But obviously, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, Anita. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. That's a great way to answer that question. One thing I would add is that think about why they're asking this question. They want to figure out your problem solving skills. I know it's very tempting to say, oh, I'll just Google it. Don't say that. Say like the Google results, not Google, like the actual results that come back, either Salesforce help documents or app exchange, or, you know, you went to Slack Ohana group and asked other experts, please don't say Google, even though we all use Google, or I guess ChatGPT now, don't share that information. Just the actual resources <laughs> is what you want to use to answer this question. All right, just two more questions we'll go over. These are the technical skills one, and I will not be answering these questions because <laughs> I'm a little rusty. <laughs> so first major question. Oh, yeah, this is a solid standard one. What is the difference between profiles and roles? Explain how you would use them. So I'm going to just go ahead and bunch these two questions into one because I see the second one too. So the one Anita just asked, what is the difference between profiles and roles? And note that the last bit of that is explain how you would use them. So don't get caught up not answering the full question. And the second most common question you're going to see in technical skills for entry-level declarative jobs like business analysts and administrators is explain the Salesforce security framework. And those are both really great questions, and they both revolve around security. And I would argue that security is probably the most complicated administrative concept, uh, profiles, roles, sharing settings, field-level security, all those types of concepts that you need to be aware of, you know, your sharing rules and your org-wide defaults. So 
when you get into those concepts, they can become really complicated. Even seasoned Salesforce professionals will trip over, you know, man, our organization-wide default is this, and I needed to create a sharing rule, but maybe I could have just done that with field-level security or something on the profile. But man, what's the best way to handle this? And that's why you have to have a good understanding of the security framework. So yeah, we're not going to go through it on this episode, but what I will say is you can Google those. Those are standard questions. Hit rewind, write them down. You can go find answers to those questions, and there are very clear answers. That's the cool thing about technical questions. There are clear, like black and white, right and wrong answers to a lot of technical questions. Soft skills and the personal questions, not so much. Those are about you. Those are about how you handle situations and how you remediate situations that you're faced with. So for the technical questions, your experience is going to show immediately. Like if you've done this stuff before, these are questions you can answer on the fly. You don't necessarily have to study every technical question. If you've used Salesforce and you really know your stuff, you'll be able to regurgitate some of these technical questions. What I will say is tell stories. And Nita mentioned this before, profiles and roles, like, hey, tell me what you know about profiles and roles and how they're different. And can you explain how you would use them and be like, I don't have to explain how I would use them. I'll just tell you an example of how I have used them. I was working on this project. It was last month and we were doing a new org setup and we had to get all the new roles and profiles created. And, you know, we used roles to solve for this kind of problem. And we use profiles to solve for this kind of problem. And they might sound similar or like people get them confused, but they are not even close to the same things, right? Like profiles are about security and access and what you can get to. And roles are about the records you can see, not what you can do with them, but what you can see. And so there are very clear delineations between technical topics. And if you know your stuff, you're going to be able to answer those questions fairly easily. What do you think, Anita? You took part of my answer. I was just about to do the story thing because you got to do something again to make yourself memorable and stand out. And don't try to sound super smart and technical. Don't use big words. I always think of this Einstein quote, you know, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. I'm always impressed when someone on an architect level, like I don't even ask them to like explain it to me like I'm five. They just automatically explain it in such a simple way. I was like, oh, I get it. So if you can do that, it actually shows that you know what you're talking about. And one other thing I always enjoy, even when learning about Salesforce and security structure and all that, I really enjoyed analogies. So if you can create an analogy that explains it easily, especially if you know a little bit about the person, something like they like, or just the company itself, it's easier for them to confirm that they know that you know (laughs) what you're talking about. All right. That is perfect. I know we spent a lot of time on the interview questions. That was sort of like, I think, a fun thing that just occurred. So we're sorry if you wanted a Q&A episode and you got a interview question episode right in the middle of it. But hopefully you guys got value from that. And we will move along into actual questions from the community instead of questions from random interviews everywhere. So we've got a couple of questions around networking and professional branding. And so the first question we have on this topic is, How can I effectively network within the Salesforce community to expand my professional connections? So what are your thoughts there? Oh, yeah, this is one close to me. LinkedIn, 100%, not only just making meaningful posts and content, but you can slide into people's DMs and also start building relationships like that. I mean, I get people that reach out for coffee chats and I I always accept You'd be surprised. People are like, oh, you must get messaged all the time. I'm like, sometimes yes, but I don't get that many people that request a coffee chat. Probably more so now after this episode airs. As soon as this goes live. (laughs) 
Yeah, as soon as this goes live, my calendar will be full for like six months. Um, it's always nice to have a quick 15 minute chat because then, you know, you can share your story with the other person. You can start like building a relationship that way. And every so often, maybe reach out, connect quarterly or like just randomly message. And that's how you build up a relationship or friendship. But there's definitely other places on LinkedIn. There are community groups. There's various conferences, stuff like Talent Stacker and Salesforce for Everyone Facebook group. Um, I feel like I'm missing a lot. Do you have anything on the top of your head, Bradley? You know, I don't think you missed much. I mean, how to effectively network. Honestly, if you said, Brad, you have to go start over in the Salesforce ecosystem and you have to build a network, but you're only allowed to use one thing. Like you can't use anything else. You got to pick your poison. You get one thing to network with. Hands down, no questions asked. It is LinkedIn all day long. Like you can do stuff right? Like you can join a community group or a trailblazer or go to a dreaming event or whatever else. And those are all extremely valuable. Don't get me wrong. But LinkedIn, like if you're like, I don't have enough time to network. I can't do all these things. It's just too much. Get on LinkedIn. I would be on there every single day and I would randomly connect with 20 people and I would actively and intentionally connect with probably another five people a day. And really like if I saw a post come through my feed where I was like, man, they're speaking my language. I would want to develop a connection with that person. Right. Not just a cool post comment. I would want to say like, wow, this is a really engaging post. This is actually an experience I've had in my life that makes this really resonate with me. I love what you said there. And I would do that for a couple of their comments. I would follow them. I'd click that little notification bell icon. And if they kept posting content that related to me, then I would send them a DM. And I would, like you said, I would request that coffee chat. And I would say, you know, I really have a lot of respect for you because of the type of content I've seen you sharing. Would you mind if we hop on a talking like a 10 minute call, 10 minute call, let me send you five bucks and buy you a coffee and let's hang out for a second. They're not going to accept your $5 anyway. And you're going to get a probably a 10 minute call that turns into a half hour call. So just go in being respectful of other people's time and their energy. And that's how I would build my connections if I only had one way to do it. We have entire companies. This entire ecosystem works largely virtually. So to think that you can't build connections and relationships and networks virtually is, I mean, a massive misconception if you feel that way. These relationships are just as important as relationships in real life because this is real life. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, I had stuff to add, but I'm looking at this second question. So I'll wait. The second question is, are there any pitfalls or common mistakes to avoid when networking or building a personal brand in the Salesforce community? To me, I'll just share maybe one pitfall that I think would be meaningful, and that is being inauthentic or trying to pretend to be something or trying to take, right? Like inauthentic to me is someone who is like pretending to be excited and positive and fun, really just to get what they want, right? To get what they want out of the community. The kind of people who will send you a DM and they've never commented on your post. They hardly even know who you are. And they'll send you a DM and just said, hey, I'm looking for a Salesforce job. What can you do for me? Right. And you can say that in a number of different ways, but we all read it. The ones who have been in the ecosystem long enough, we read it for what it says. You could say, Hey, I've seen your post. I really like what you're talking about. I just got into the ecosystem and I'm hoping to land a job. And I was wanting to, you know, see if we could get on a call. I can read between the lines, right? I go look at your LinkedIn profile. You have like four connections. I see you on Trailhead. You have no certifications. You barely have any badges. You have no super badges. And you just want me to mentor you through this whole thing step by step so you don't have to do anything, right? So you don't have to think for yourself. 
And so I would say that kind of thing, like give before you take, get in here and give it a thousand percent before you expect other people to spend their time on you. And the other thing, like I said, don't be inauthentic. Like don't come in here to like build a brand for yourself if you don't mean it, right? If you don't actually care about the community and you don't actually want to see others do well and be successful and you don't actually want to help others as much as others are helping you, that's going to show pretty quickly. And I'm not saying you can't build a community around that type of inauthenticity. You can, and you will build a community of inauthentic, toxic, negative people, and you will get the community that you put in is effectively what you're going to get. But if you come in authentic and organic and you're nervous and you're not sure what to say and you just share it openly and you're transparent and you really lean into the community and let the community give to you without just taking, 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 uh, I think you'll find yourself surrounded by generous people and positive people and people who are ready to grow and help one another because they're going to see that in you. Just be real. Just be yourself and find yourself in your professional branding. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't ask for a job right off like Hi, can I have a job? Hi, are you hiring? That is one of the common or biggest mistakes I see a lot. And then second thing, when you are setting up these coffee chats, actually our very own Alex Warnicke shared this great piece of advice. Shift your mindset of what they can do for you to what you can do for them. And it might be hard because they're at a higher level. You might be just searching for your first job. So you don't think you have anything to share, but you may like they might be working on a project in the industry that you are pivoting from or you notice they seem stressed out. This one time someone I had a coffee chat, uh, I was like working on my morning routine and stuff. And they sent me a book, Miracle Morning, which is really nice of them. But like, I was like, wow, this is perfect. Didn't have anything to do with Salesforce. But like for life stuff, it, it was great. So that makes me remember that person because they sent me this awesome book. So always give, 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 give more than you take. That's just my little piece of advice. Yeah. I think so. Do your best. We all have something to give. And to your point, it's always bigger than Salesforce. It's always bigger than the career. Like it's the actual person. And that person paid attention to you as a person, not as a Salesforce mentor only. And that's important. And we all have something to give when we step outside. Even if you're new to Salesforce, you're not new to life. You have things to share and you have things that you've learned and you have ways that you can help people. So be there, help people. Just I think you can be a mentor in other ways to people who are being a mentor to you and maybe your Salesforce career. All right. Next question. Are we ready? Yeah. All right. So this one has to do with career advancement. So how can I leverage my current Salesforce experience to move up the career ladder? Yeah. So I like this question because I think it's a thought provoking idea. People have a different idea of what the career ladder is to them. Like if we just focus on societally, you say career ladder, that means how quickly can I become a Salesforce junior admin and then an admin and then a solution architect and then a technical architect and then get to the sort of the end of this career ladder, right? Maybe I'll have a corner office or maybe I'll manage the team and I'll be in a suit and I'll fly first class and everybody will want me to help them on their projects and I'll just be epic. And that's one version, and that's totally fine if that's your version, but that's only one version of advancing your career. To me, advancing my career was working less hours and having stronger work-life balance while still having a major impact and being able to follow the passions that I wanted to follow and the things I was interested in and spending time with my family. And I think that's another way that, that you can do that. And a lot of people want to travel more and they want to spend time doing things outside of work. And a lot of times that has to do with advancing your career could just be designing a career 
that meets your life values. And you might work 40 hours a week, but you may never want to manage anyone because you care a lot about your work-life balance and those kind of things. So that's what I think of when I think about career advancement. It's different for everyone. And I'll take this moment to talk about what we have, which is called the Career Accelerator Program. And it's a really incredible program. Obviously, Anita knows it well. We've all been heads down working on this for months and months. If it's not ready when this episode drops, it's going to be really, really soon. So I'm excited for it. I think we'll have it ready in July, but we're going to make sure it's an incredible product and it's done right. So it might be a little bit after that. But the point is, we'll have the link in the description when it is ready so you can check that out. But the whole thing is, it's funny because it doesn't have any Salesforce certification content. And I think a lot of people think that's crazy because Salesforce, the ecosystem is so hyper fixated on certifications. But we know that when it comes to advancing your career, that if you want to be the manager in the corner office flying first class with your, you know, all your nice clothes and cars and all this kind of stuff, that has very little to do with your certifications. And it has to do with your soft skills and your ability to manage your own business or your ability to drive a team forward or negotiate with confidence with your employer to get that promotion, to get that raise, to get that new title. Or it could be your work-life balance and you can get into independent consulting and really find a way to work those 20-hour work weeks and still make just as much money as you're making today and meet all your financial goals, but have much more balance. And that's what the Career Accelerator Program is all about. There are places you can go get your next certification, but we are focused on making you an incredible person, an incredible professional, and being much more educated about the concepts of designing an incredible Salesforce career that doesn't just revolve around how many certifications you have. So that's my, uh, I guess, my pitch slash education around thinking more openly about what it means to accelerate or advance your career. So what are your thoughts there, Nina? Yeah, 100% agree. I love that we call it CAP for short. I've gone through some of the modules already, and it's actually helped me set up my own business and course that I'm using to, I guess, move up the career ladder. It's not like corporate move, but more creating multiple streams of income. So I'm not like relying on one job. So it kind of walked me through the process of creating an LLC and all that, which there are a lot of great templates I use in there, which was extremely helpful. I mean, in addition to that, creating my course also showcases my expertise in a certain niche area, which in turn, again, helps build my personal brand. So when people think they need help with something, oh, they think of my name. And I know you're being sort of humble, I think, about your course. I think it's amazing that you actually made the initiative and I made sure to share this with you that I think a lot of people think about doing things like that and they think about sharing their knowledge and their education and their abilities with the world. And a lot of times they fall short because they don't think they're good enough or they come up with these imposter syndrome reasons why they don't have time and all these kind of things. So what's the best way to go find your course? And it's all about Scrum, right? Yes, it is. Um I'm obviously I'm not an expert in Scrum yet, but this is something I wish I had when I first started. It's to get you set up to run your first two week sprint. So if you're new and a lot of the courses, it teaches theory and how to pass the Scrum Master exams. That's great at all. But, you know, I needed something to tell me how to do my job. So that's why I create this course. This actually tells you how to do your job. It's called Scrum in a Box, and you can go to anitaunbox.mykajabi.com to sign up for the course if you're interested in that route. So we will make sure the link's in the description so that you guys can just link to that. Go check it out. I actually went through the course lesson by lesson, the way it was on initial release, at least. I know it's getting better every week, every month. And I can tell you that if you want to be a Scrum Master, if you want to get into project management, if you want to be a business analyst, it's extremely valuable, the content inside of that course that Anita created. Because even though she said she doesn't know everything, she's an incredible educator and obviously really well-versed on these topics. So I think that's very important. 
And with that, I think we have met the end of this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, I know we spent a lot of time on interview questions, but hopefully that's sort of a a little bonus episode inside of this episode and you guys got value from that. So if you haven't already, make sure you go try the five-day challenge. And where can they find that? Talentstacker.com forward slash start. And whatever podcast platform you're listening on, please be sure to go ahead and click subscribe to make sure that you hear all of our future episodes. And if you don't mind, go ahead and leave us a review and be sure to share it with your friends and fellow aspiring Salesforce professionals. And until the next episode, bye. Thank you for joining us today. To get started for free on your own Salesforce career, go to talentstacker.com forward slash start or check the show notes. There you'll find all the resources you need to start earning 60 to 80,000 in as little as eight months, no matter your education or career background. The Salesforce for Everyone podcast was produced by Edmund T and engineered by Andrew Mendonza. If you like what we do at this scrappy can-do podcast, please help others find us by leaving a five-star rating and a great review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now. See you next time.